This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. I'm Tyler. I'm Bo. I'm Aaron. And season two has been amazing so far. We've talked about Killmonger. We've also talked about everyone's favorite hero, albeit sort of idealistic, Nakia. He he just rolled his eyes. (laughs) No, I didn't. I was looking around. No, I didn't. No, I did not. No, I did not. (laughs) This is not true. I just kind of looked up and was trying to figure out how was I going to do this in a way that's honoring and dignifying, yet at the same time critiques. Anyway, Hmm. you guys heard the episode. (laughs) But one of the amazing things about Wakanda is the tradition that we see placed upon intergenerational connectedness. We felt like it would be very appropriate for us to talk about how interconnected Wakanda is generationally, especially in three main characters. T'Chaka, who's T'Challa's father, Ramonda, who is uh, T'Challa's mother, and Zuri, who becomes T'Challa's advisor um, and also is T'Chaka's best friend, basically, his right-hand man, when when, uh, T'Chaka is alive. So as we think about interconnectedness and intergenerational Wakanda, like what did you think were some examples of the power of that in the film? Because I think the film does a great job of representing both old and young and the tension there as well in subtle, subtle points, the tradition battling with the modern. I think the most powerful intergenerational moments were when T'Challa had dialogue with T'Chaka. I think those were those were whether were not just the fact that this longing and this desire for him to to see his father, mm-hmm. but and and not just all good either. So so initially it, it's it's good. It's it's a reunion of sorts. Right. But then uh in the end it's a confrontation. Mm. But but whether it was the initial uh, conversation or the confrontation that takes place toward the end there, those are the most powerful moments to me. Right. And, and I think also what's fascinating about the intergenerational to, to Chaka and T'Challa moments is in civil war T'Chaka does something that's so affirming for a father to do to a son. He places his hand on his son's face like that is such a subtle, but it's a powerful, especially in African, African-American culture, that outward sign of affection and affirmation and touch to look at his son in the eyes and to touch his face mm. is like, yo, there are some heavy moments. And then when when T'Chaka is killed, T'Challa's anguish, him holding his father's body. Like that shows that there's a deep bond between father yes. and son, something that's deeper than, oh, that's my dad. No, I love my father. No, I love my son. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think of uh, kind of the the almost extreme 
uh, uh, differences in the, and yet the emotional connectedness of Shuri and Ramunda. Like yes. specifically when yes. we're first introduced to, to both of their characters, it's at the exact same time. And the queen is very much, she's, she's regal. She's wearing more traditional garb than Shuri is at that moment. Uh, you know, and Shuri comes across as she's, she's making fun of T'Challa, uh, mm-hmm. almost immediately. Like even in the, the weight of the situation and the emotion that is obviously surrounding the reasons for why they're all coming together. She's somewhat more lighthearted. She's talking about, you know, uh, the changes that she's going to make to her cere- ceremonial stuff. She's flipping them off and getting called out by her mom. <laughs> right. You know, right. like th- there's, there's, they stand at such, um, you know, kind of. I guess opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of the ages represented on screen here. Uh, and yet they are kind of bound in this tribe in a very similar fashion. They walk very much a similar path. Mm. Yeah. I think we have to talk about the actors that play these three characters, because when you think about regal, when you think about elegant, when you think about beautiful, is there any better representation than Angela Bassett? There's no better representation in Hollywood. No one else could have played that role. And I'm not saying that people didn't have the capability. There are tons of great black actresses. But the fact that they got Angela Bassett, it's she brings something to the role, such a depth. And even though we just met her, it's like that's her son. She loves her son, even if it's not even even if it's not biological, even if it's stepmom, like she loves T'Challa. Yeah. Angela Bassett, have you have y'all seen some of the behind the scenes like her out of character? Yes. Like her just like appreciating the set and everything that's got like there's that scene, like or not even scene. Like it feels like a scene because you know, obviously you're watching it. But where she's sitting there with the actress that's playing um Shuri, uh the Tisha, right? Yes. And and she's like, like, do you see this? Like this is this is pretty amazing. Like, you know, and that's Angela Bassett Dude, with her right. career. That was so you funny because I mean? she even said like something's about to pop off or something like yeah, you know, yeah. she you know, she used some colorful. Like, and it was <laughs> it was so cool, man. But I got to say this. Angela Bassett being cast in that role mm. was absolutely amazing for a number of reasons. So number one, if, if, if you're if you're an Angela Bassett fan, you've followed the characters that she's played throughout her career. Yes. That have walked through such great hardship and ending triumph, whether it be, well, I think one of the most iconic, of course, is what's love got to do with mm-hmm. it, you know, uh, and, and, and she Bo is rocking place. to that song. <laughs> <in his head laughs> right but man, and where she is in life now to where she could pull off like the role of being the, the mother of, of adult children, right? Right. She's at that place in life, but still, man, she just has this air about her that, like you said, man, just regal and just, you know, but wise and, yeah, just man, perfect casting for that. And it was so again, it's just the the umpteenth umpteenth example of Black Panther dignifying black women. Like it's just the the range that they were able to show. I mean, we even said it in the last episode we critiqued Nakia. But when you think about Lupita Nyong'o and Angela Bassett and Denai Guerrera and Letitia Wright and all the Dora Milaje, it's like these are this is a phenomenal way to honor black women and to show their leadership and to show their composure against overwhelming odds and to show that in the moment where I thought it was very telling when you have Ramonda and Nakia and Shuri and Agent Ross. So you have the three of them and the Agent Ross, how Agent Ross takes a complete back seat 
And then when he tries to assert himself, he obviously gets shouted down. But it's interesting the ways in which they gave the women more more dignity in the Jabari tribe. They they recognized them more. And they're like, man, you can't even speak, Ross, whoever you are. You can't speak, but we'll listen to them. You know, we'll we'll challenge them. We'll be like, well, I don't think it was unfair. But at the same time, it's that juxtaposition of, wow, this is really upholding this this honor for women. You mentioned the Jabari tribe. Uh, you know, I was... Um, realizing earlier actually today, just in retrospect, talking about Umbaku uh, and the Jabari tribe, a lot of the way that we are introduced to the Jabari tribe is very like male centric. But the reality is even in the film, the Jabari tribe is not necessarily male centric. And specifically in the film, we actually do see like the women of the tribe fighting alongside the men in the final battle. Yeah. I do think a a lot of people may have walked away from the film thinking that the Jabari did not have the same respect for women that say the Black Panther tribe or just kind of the rest of Wakanda did. And that's not necessarily true. Right. Yeah. There's still more for us to see and and unpack there for sure. Then you have Forrest Whitaker um, playing Zuri. Actually, I'll say this, John, is it Kenny? John Connie um, plays T'Chaka. I'll start with him because I think the fact that he was able to get his biological son to play young oh T'Chaka God, is incredible. And Leave us! <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that's incredible. And I'm like, wow, this is really. And so when I saw him, I didn't know that. And I was like, man, they got a real close portrayal. But it seems like he's so much younger than like his, his father. <laughs> It's like, wow, he aged real quick, you know? It's like, hey, man, it's the side effects of uh, vibranium, you look, know? Being king, being king, and being Black Panther, I mean, you age quick. And my question was, T'Chaka has incredible presence. Hmm. Like, you can tell he commands respect. There's such a, a honoring nature. Like, everyone looks at him a certain way. And I would have loved to have seen how people looked at him in Wakanda, how they looked at him, how they viewed him. Ooh, yeah. I would have mm. loved to have seen like, because my question was, even as a kid, we never got to see T'Chaka in Wakanda. Exactly. And and see, my question is, is he still, was he still the Black Panther? I mean, because brother was old. Like, was he still the Black Panther? I mean, was it like, yeah. how, how long was he, how long was he doing this? It requires some sort of, you know, suspension of disbelief here because I'm like, man, who was who was really operating in the Black Panther situation? Yeah, <laughs> you know? there was speculation about uh, you know. There's a lot of whenever trailers for movies come out, YouTubers will get on it and they'll dissect everything. Right. And I remember one in particular that was looking at the scene from the opening of the film, or not the opening of the film, but the one actually we talked about last week, the "Don't Freeze" scene, mm-hmm. uh, in which we see the Black Panther fighting all of all of these uh, uh, you know dudes with guns and. The the commentator noted that the costume was more reminiscent of the one that we saw before and not the one mm. that's going to be in the new film. So they were guessing that perhaps this could be T'Chaka. And I was thinking like, with, with, with all due respect to, to John Connie, <laughs> right. I don't think that he could fit in that suit. Yeah, <laughs> like, nah, it's not, it's not working, homie. Yeah. Like, nah, that time has passed, bro. That time has <laughs> passed. And then obviously you have Forrest Whitaker, Academy Award winner. Um, you know, a, a very long and storied acting career. And has just kind of retired with one character. Yes. With all um, due respect. With again. all due respect. But he's been playing the same character <laughs> for Pocalypse. Listen, from- I'll, I'll just say this with all due respect. He was the weakest point of the film. 
I, he's just the weakest part of the film. No, but I'm I glad think. he was there. Like that character, it, definitely. I feel like the accent didn't work, and I, I, but I feel like the way in which he dialogued with Chadwick, I thought that was powerful. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the accent just kind of fell flat. We haven't even critiqued like accents and what that kind of looks like because we're not linguistic experts here. But one of the things yeah, we can say, yeah, I apologize for my accent that I just did. Nah, I was but just channeling. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things we can that was Saul To be fair, I felt the same exactly. way. <laughs> yeah, like one of the things we can say is, yo, this is kind of different. The others felt more natural. Felt felt more. That's you right. felt the same way. Yeah, yeah. I think because and and you know when it really hit me when it came out and I got you know the digital version and sitting there watching it in iTunes. And the more he talked, especially when, you know, before the ritual combat, I find myself thinking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seemed, and it was such a, it was such a stark contrast when you take, you know, Mbaku, Winston Duke, like his character, he really had a tight accent. And then even Angela Bassett, her accent was really good. It was just like certain people, it was like, man, they're 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 really dialed in. But you know, that's neither here nor that's what that's nitpicking. But it just kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit. The movie, you know? well, to I mean, to, to your credit, man, I mean, the movie invites nitpicking because it's so tight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It like, yeah, it and is. the attention that's given to building the, upon the world and building the culture and building the tribes and the way, like, how much thought was gone into the the art, the language, the delivery, the the accents, the the fighting combat, the styles, the clothes they were, everything uh, was intentional. Nothing was just like, oh, this looks African. Let's throw it up here. Exactly. Yeah, it was very well thought out, very thorough. And I think one of the most powerful points of the entire movie is the ancestral plane. Mm. If we want to talk about intergenerational connectedness, that ancestral plane with the Panthers and and then the second scene where all the people are walking up to him, that is powerful. When you saw that, what did you guys think? What hit you? The first thing, okay, so seeing all the panthers in the tree, I mean, you just, it reminded me in a way, and this may sound funny, but so Lion King, right? Mm -hmm. You get this feel in Lion King, even though you don't see it like that. So, so like in Lion King, it's Mufasa that kind of has still like a, a presence as, 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 you know, as a father, but you get this feel. He, he gives his son a vision. He gives, um, Simba an intergenerational vision, right? You know, that right. you're a part of this line and, and all of those things. And so you kind of get a glimpse of that. But then, cause my mind just kind of went there, but in, Remember in the, who you are. yeah, in, in that yeah. scene, right? So in that scene where you could see the succession. You could see the generations, man. That was powerful, and the mm. fact that they were Panthers first. Yep, you yep. know that, and, and exactly. so because I think that when we engage, when when you engage the movie, um, there are people who I remember someone's reaction when I told them that Black Panther debuted in 1966, for instance. Right? <laughs> right. They were like, "What?" It's like, yeah, 1966, like there's history here. And so even within the, the a series such as that, that debuted in 1966, the history that they developed within the source material that, that, that the, even things that are, that are, that are referenced, I think that's so amazing. And so seeing them and to see this lineage of Panthers, you know, that it just, it kind of caused this really kind of cool reaction in terms of our imagination and speculation, like, oh, who were they? Where'd they come from? Right. What, mm-hmm. what were they like? Right. That was, that was really cool. Yeah, and I think 
what is very powerful about seeing the ancestral plane is that if you're going to be a panther, if you're going to be the leader of a country like Wakanda, no, before you do anything else, after right after you, you win ritual combat, you have to speak to the ancestors. Like, no, 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 you can't, you can't get, well, I just, even Killmonger, like in a very telling scene, Killmonger was not allowed to just go and sit on the throne. No, 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 you need to go back. You need to be put into the dirt. Now, what we saw here is the disconnection of Killmonger. He didn't see all the Panthers. He saw just his father. There was still this open wound. Mm. But T'Challa was able to see the Panthers. He was able to see everyone. And then in the second scene, Bo, he confronts them. That... That to me is just nuts. If you think about African culture, you think about African-American culture, this idea of confronting your elders, is that, that doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> like mm. confront your elders. But in that scene, he steps up and he says, there's a responsibility that I have to say, no, now is not my time. And he refuses them. Yeah, we talked about how last season, how the, the first time that he sees his father in the ancestral plane how the music is so different and it like quite literally it's the crescendo of the film and it's so, so early on and it's such an important moment and it is to some extent kind of the pivotal uh, uh, moment in the story that existed even before the movie began with what happened in civil war and their relationship and everything else. Um, but you're right when he goes back and you know, you mentioned you have to, you have to go back to your ancestors. You almost kind of wonder was the benefit of the heart shaped herb about the power or was it about the connectedness with the ancestors? Mm. Like what, what ultimate, like which, which one of those two things is actually the side effect? Yo, you know, that is crazy. Yeah. That is so good. Like, is your power, is your power coming from your connectedness rather than just from, Oh, well now you have skills. Yeah. Like, I mean, a strong argument could be made for, for the latter, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not simply, I, I see that there's an element of accountability, you know, so, so, you know, the Panther God, you know, bossed, I mean, he, he's, you she. know, she, sorry, she is, <laughs> you know, it's, you, you can't just be black Panther because you choose, you know, there's a way you have to actually yeah, have her have approval. Yeah. And maybe mm -hmm. that's a reason that, um, Killmonger didn't have access to the ancestral plane because Yo. ultimately he didn't have her approval, Yo. you know? Yo, <laughs> yo, Tyler's mind has just been blown, bruh. I never thought of that. Yeah, yo, there's so many layers, bro. We should do a podcast <laughs> on Black Panther. <laughs> like, we should do an entire series on. Oh, <laughs> yo, that is crazy. That's such a great point. So you have the ancestral plane, but then there's another real life example of it. So that's kind of the fantasy afterlife example but then there's a real life example with the wakanda council and so the council at the council you see generational exchange and you see different leaders of the tribes but then you also see a wakabi you also see a okoye you also see a t'challa and at the beginning there's like some sort of tension between black panther pursuing claw because the leader as you pointed out of the merchant tribe she says wakanda doesn't need a warrior we need a king right now. And then Okoye says, we can't pass this up. And then Wakabi says, think about what they did again, pulling generationally. What did they do to my family? They did. They killed my parents. Like, yeah, there's a reason he's sitting there instead of someone older. Exactly. And so when you think about all mm. that, isn't that a picture of what it should be? Like this connectedness 
to the generations to where they're exchanging with one another. But clearly some are winning versus others. And then it's funny because Killmonger plays on the tradition when he comes in because he says, I want a challenge. And then once he lists who he is, at first they laugh at him. And then once they, once he says who he is, then the, then one of the tribal leaders is like, well, he is within his right to do it. And so he used the tradition against T'Challa to put pressure on him. Like, so I think it's just really powerful to see the Wakandan council. And I hope we get to see more of them because I think we'll see kind yeah. of this, this tension between things they should do, things they shouldn't do, critiques, mm-hmm. all those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the way they could take the council in the future is uh, kind of exciting just to to think about even in that even in that one scene where they're kind of all debating one another, is that in and of itself setting up, you know, perhaps where Wakanda is in the future. Wakanda in civil war. Huh? But you were talking specifically about, you know, the second time that he goes to the ancestral yeah. plane and how he's challenged. So it's fascinating because what what was this like big emotional special moment? at the beginning of the film, we literally leave T'Chaka as like, as an audience, like we we've known him up until that point as kind of this, you know, as, as a strong leader, as kind of somebody who loved his son, you know, we talked about kind of the connection that was displayed, the intimate connection between the two, but we leave him like alone and like kind of destroyed by his son. Right. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's, that's, that that's we're, it. We're not going to see him again. When less Sherry sees him. Yeah. I mean, it's a wrap, you know, hopefully we get that scene where T'Chaka like looks at his son and says, why are you dead again? (laughs) 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 But as you say, you don't think they're in, he's in the ancestral plane, but, but honestly, I kind of hope that somebody, I mean, I mean, me personally, I kind of hope that Sherry goes to the ancestral plane and we see that because I almost feel like there needs to be a bit of a redemption Mm. for T'Chaka. You know what I mean? Like, like he was destroyed after death in, in the way that his memory, like his legacy was to some extent destroyed. Now he was the one that destroyed it. And the fact that he made this mistake, but like now that one mistake has completely destroyed everything we know of him post-mortem. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about that scene or where things left off. Well, I will say that, you know, the voice of reason for everyone, Nakia did mention that, that no, she did mention in a in a in a good way to T'Challa that your father did what he thought was right as king. So he did what you know he thought was right. And so even though you had to confront him, it, at that point he hadn't confronted him yet. But even though he would eventually have to confront him, there was at least some foundation laid for the fact of we're not going to totally dismiss him, even though he lied and left out this massive thing that eventually like ripped the kingdom apart, but it's okay. Like, even though he did that, we're not just going to say, Oh, he never did anything good. So I think there is some sort of basis for it, but kind of piggybacking off of that, the idea that Ramonda doesn't even mention anything about it. Mm. We don't even know if, I mean, outside of, I mean, outside of that one reaction, she doesn't really say anything about the decision that was made. Like, and so how, how do we, how do we reconcile where Ramonda stands in the midst of T'Chaka's, you know, failing? There's so much going on around her at the time, right? I mean, she's she's the the, the loss of her husband is recent. Mm-hmm. So and then and and then early on in the reign of T'Challa, Killmonger shows up, mm. and 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 then 
before she could even process what happened and what took place in the past, what T'Chaka did, she, you know, through the ritual combat, she thinks T'Challa's dead. Mm. And so it's like it's like your whole world at that point is is just falling apart. And so we don't really get to see, you know, it's like at that point you're in you're in uh crisis management, right? Mm. And so it's like mm. we don't have the luxury to consider everything. Just h- how do we get this back online just to survive? It seems like survival was the was the the priority. And so um she she never really has a chance you know we never really get to see her deal with it you know out you know outside of all of the things that are happening right. around yeah. her I, mean, I think i mentioned this last season but that scene that she has when shuri just notes like you know we lost that like and she just goes <gasps> like, the, like ooh, ooh, i get chills even thinking about it angela bassett is an amazing actress yes. but like like honestly like it's just yeah. like that is the first time because she's been in crisis mode that she's actually gotten to experience grief. Like, cause everything has been about, you know, ceremony and getting, you know, it's about regime change and everything else. And then all of a sudden in this moment of quiet and tragedy and the world has crumbled down, does she remember, Oh yeah, I've got all of this pain, you yeah. know? Mm. Oh man. And I think what we see here, even in seeing the, the blessing of the intergenerational connectedness, there's a, there's a shadow to it as well. And that's Zuri covering for T'Chaka that's Zuri maintaining which I was shocked he said it that bluntly but we had to maintain a lie (laughs) you know we had to maintain something that was false and so that moment and, and for those of you who are not you know of African descent I'll just put it like this if you challenge an elder the way that T'Challa challenged Zuri and then T'Chaka that is a massive faux pas. There's nothing harder than confronting an elder. And there's there's nothing that will likely get you tags of disrespect more assuredly than saying, it doesn't matter what happened. You were, you were wrong. You were wrong. And when T'Challa has to pull, that's why I don't think people understand how powerful that scene is when T'Challa says, yo, I'm your king now. I am your king now. Oh, he's dead. Now I'm your king. Like that is, whoa, (laughs) you know, that's what makes Zuri stop and say, okay. And then he looks at, at the Panthers and he looks at the people in the ancestral plane and he doesn't just say you were wrong. He says, all of you, bruh. Yeah. That's a heavy moment. That is a heavy, heavy moment. And it's this tension that I think we all feel with the elders, Aaron. I'll point to you because <laughs> we're in this we're in this kind of generational struggle of we're younger, we're not like super young, but we're younger. And so when we're when we're kind of talking with the baby boomer generation, the mm-hmm. older generation, there's a different protocol and there tends to be kind of a a protection of an image. A protection of of an idea. It's not just that, okay, we were, yeah, there's good things involved here, but then there's also the idea of who we are is more important sometimes than who we are, right? Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about how that plays itself out in real life because it's, I think we both have stories of having to say, 
nah, you were wrong. Yeah, you know, it's it happens when as you begin to walk through your process of maturity and and the way that you see the world and then not only the way you see the world but as the way you begin to engage the world around you i think that a lot of the inter- intergenerational uh tension comes where if you're younger you look at some of the things that maybe from the older generation and you're like, I'm not trying to, to disrespect that. But what I'm saying is that's, and, 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 and I don't, I don't say this in a, in a cavalier manner, but it's almost like, man, that's pageantry though. Like, mm. like, like where's the substance though? Like this, you know, what is that? You know, I, I see where you're doing it and, and I get it, but, but how does that come to have um, a relevant effect on the here and now? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the way that can come off if you're younger, uh, you know, uh, or, or from the older perspective is just irreverent, just, you know, absolutely disrespectful. And I think that if you're younger, one of the things that we have to be intentional about remembering is that even though something may be in the here and now, uh, you know, pageantry, right? Or just, mm-hmm. you know, there's still a principle that it was connected to like it didn't just Bruh, it didn't just yes. come out of thin air there's a principle that it was connected to and so i may not i may not connect to the outward show or the expression of it but i but i do myself uh and the generations that come that come after me great harm if i neglect the principle you know mm. and so the key is laying hold of the principle and seeking ways in which the the principles of yesterday flesh themselves out in new ways today and mm. so i think that for t'challa to say you were wrong you were all wrong what he wasn't doing in my estimation was writing off all of his lineage I think there was this tension of the world has changed since you've been here. Right. Things are different. And so I do want the same things that you want, but the way that you went about doing it that worked for you can't be the way that I go about it in the here and now. Yeah, that's so good, bro. And and I think, especially the principal pageantry point, that's so good. And I think there's also this, this danger of when we find out that the generation that is above us that has gone before us is flawed then we throw then we then we swing the pendulum we swing yeah. the ideological pendulum yeah not just throwing them out but then we swing it we're like oh you you were wrong and so because you didn't you didn't let eric stevens in or because you didn't let njadaka in well now we need to let everybody in yeah and it's like well i mean there's there's a tension here like there's there has to be a push pull right and so i think even swinging the ideological pendulum one way or another based upon one event or one situation or one mistake is dangerous as well. Yeah. I think the manner in which we reckon with the failures of our predecessors Hmm. is so vital. You know, uh, if, if it's a, if it's a knee jerk reaction in terms of they were, they were wrong about this. And then that leads to the false assumption that they were wrong about everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 just learning how to live with the fact that you know what they were wrong about that, but they got a lot right. Mm-hmm. So so let me let me continue the legacy of that which was done right, and let me learn from that which is done wrong, and still continue the legacy. Well, it's right? the hiding, right? Like to some extent, it's the pain of you hid this from me. 
you you hit like you know. All right, so I'm I'm about to get nerdy again. Go ahead. Yeah, fire, yeah. Fire. Heed my words. Heed my words. Not did you pass on what you have learned? Strength, mastery, mm-hmm. yes. but weakness, folly, yes. failure. Also, yes, failure. Most of all, the greatest teacher. Yes, Yoda. failure is Yoda. Last Jedi, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know what I I loved about that was the way in which not to get you know turn Star Wars, but I love the way that Yoda looks at Luke and is is like, look, man, did you read the scrolls? Like you read the Jedi <laughs> scrolls? Like, is that something you, you, it, it's kind of like, he's challenging the pageantry. He's like, I mean, come on, man. Really? You was just out here just reading it. It was just, you know, it was a page turner. Really? Read like, your page turner thing or not? <laughs> and Luke's looking like, come on, you're like, what's, what's up? And I think, it's cool. It's really particularly powerful. I heard one writer, he talked about how there were two, um, when he was at, I think he went to Morehouse, and he talked about how there were two civil rights activists that came in to speak to them in one of their classes. And one of them was like, you need to always wear suits. You need to be like dressed to the nines because that's what the civil rights movement represented. And you need to always carry yourself. And so he he characterizes they wanted us to be basically Spartans in suits. They want us to have all this stuff and this this pageantry and this regal nature and this honorable persona. And then he talked about another civil rights activist that came in, Julian Bond. And he said Julian Bond had this mischief in his eyes. Like and he was an he was a man who had been through the civil rights movement, but he approached them differently than the other guy had. And when someone asked him about, do we always need to wear suits? Bomb was like, man, suits are good, but suits don't stop bullets. And so it was crazy to hear. Like it's really powerful when someone of the older generation critiques the pageantry. Like when someone in the older generation steps back and is like, I mean, it's all right, but. I mean, that's not going to be the ultimate thing you should worry about. Yeah. And and I think we don't really see that in Black Panther. But what we do see is that at some point people have to acknowledge, okay, the torch has been passed. T'Chaka is gone. T'Challa is here. And it's going to have to be someone from the new generation now. And and we're not even thinking about the ways in which that might have been a massive shift in their minds. They've known T'Chaka for decades He's been king in Black Panther for decades. And now his son, is he ready? He got him killed. He's he's out there fighting with the Avengers. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just the perception. I know he didn't actually yeah. get him killed. But what does it look like for the, the older generation to kind of push away from some of the tightly held beliefs and clench its fists and say, you know what? Cook. I'm going to let the youth cook. Yeah. You know? You, you have to. And I think... Also, we see a humbled T'Challa, right? So we dealt with this at length last season where we talked about the tactical error that T'Challa made in accepting the challenge. Like yeah. he fell right into Thank you, bro, because you know I'm Killmongers. not going to let y'all forget. You know what I'm you know saying? I'm not gonna, <laughs> like, if I say something, I'm not going to let y'all forget what like, happened. Like he fell <laughs> right into Killmonger's hands, right? And, I, and here's what I see. I think that when you're younger... One of the things that we have to be very careful with about our critique is that when we make a critique of our predecessors, 
we have to be careful to remember that we were not in their shoes. Like, like we were mm. not making, we, we weren't under the same pressure. Maybe we weren't bearing the same responsibility. And so T'Chaka as king made a decision as to what he saw best, not just for himself, but for Wakanda, for the people. We're not mm. saying it was a good decision, but he was bearing the mantle of king, not uncle, not just brother, you know, uncle, but king, right? And I think that after we see a, a smarter T'Challa in the way that he engaged Killmonger, I think. I think he, you know, he yeah, was he definitely. was more he was more calculated. Very and I strategic. think I think that's a humbling experience. So I think, you know, you could, you know, you you could say, Oh, they man, they they didn't know what they were talking about. They got it wrong. But then when you bear the mantle as king, hmm. oh, 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 now. Oh, so you dying every five oh, minutes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. So so taking that challenge from Killmonger, that's just you 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 thought that was the best thing to do in the moment then, didn't you? <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> so, good, so, good. Yeah, that that's like that stinks whenever that happens. Yeah. You know, as, a, as a resident young guy, you know, it kind of stinks, you know, when someone has to be like, Oh, so you thought this was gonna oh, this is how you thought it was gonna yeah. go. You're like, ah oh, man. But how refreshing it is when you do I think I think when you when you run into the the elder statesmen and and you know those men and women who have that mischief in their eye, yeah, that is one of the most life giving, refreshing things mm-hmm. I've ever come across. So I was going to ask you, Bo, do you think that the Necropolis, which you know Black Panther becomes King of the Dead in the comics, um, because when he comes back, there's already a Black Panther. And so I believe it's Shuri, actually. And so Shuri is already acting as Black Panther. And so then T'Challa is made King of the Dead. And so this is all the Panthers previously. He has access to their to their power, their knowledge, their experience, their wisdom. Do you think that the ancestral plane has become the necropolis, so to speak? Because I would just love to see, wouldn't it be powerful just to be able to see him just not have to necessarily die or go under from the heart-shaped herb but to go through that wall of knowledge and be able to say, what should I do in this situation before stepping wow. out and, and fight, you know, cause then it's like, man, that's, that's really the generational information. Now I can pull on all of this. And even at some points it's, he's even told put Wakanda lives before everyone else. And that's going to be really hard, but this is what you need to hear. Do you think that they've replaced it? With the, with the ancestral plane, yeah, I, I I do, and it is interesting because in many respects, T'Challa's hero's journey was kind of rushed from that standpoint. If you think about kind of the idea of the you know the master or the uh, the parents, the 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 father, or the the wizard, whoever the guiding uh, uh, role is in the in the young hero's life, um, that that character that that kind of component to the hero's journey ultimately has to die. Like at some point, the hero has to be separated away from those that are looking out for him. You know, Gandalf has to fall into the, you know, in, into the fire. Like, you know, it's like fools, like fools. Exactly. <laughs> if they had just gotten on the bird and listened to him, they would have gotten there easily. Uh, but, you know, so at some point that has to happen. But generally speaking, it's a lot longer into the hero's journey or at least midway through. Whereas with T'Challa, it's literally at the beginning of his, uh, his movie. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have an Obi-Wan Kenobi type of character. Even Zuri doesn't really fit that mold per se. Um, And so to have, to all of a sudden like reopen that back up and have T'Chaka as kind of a constant, I think would actually would be detrimental to the character 
Mm. Um, just from a storytelling standpoint, because I think that what we saw in all of this movie was him wrestling with who he's going to be. And if he ends up in the next movie or, or at some point in the future now gaining access, I think there is, I think there would be kind of almost like a, a, a just moment of all of like the ancestors coming back and be like, well, last time you were here, you said this, but, but that would be awesome. There would be something to that for sure. But at the exact same time, like he really needs to move on. Like he needs mm-hmm. to stand on his own two feet. And we still like, if the closest thing we saw that to happening was at the very tail end of the movie. Right. And so from this point forward, I would much rather see him return from my guess is the soul stone after infinity war, mm-hmm. uh, ready to stand on his own two feet and to live or die by the decisions that he, he's made. I, I think you're ready for that too. Cause I mean, you've been pushing for like, Oh, because he did this and this is this. I don't think we've actually seen him really feel the full force of the decisions that he like, like the, yeah. you know, I agree. Yeah. So we'll see what ends up. Happening. I think it'll make him better more you know humbler as you mentioned Aaron but then also wiser moving forward and more tactical I think I think maybe then the the conflict shifts that's why you know as we'll talk about in a later episode the conflict I think will shift away from just being T'Challa centric to being more about other characters fighting and having to find their place as well within Wakanda. And then there being some tensions from the outside to where they're going to have to come together and say, I know we fought from the inside and I know there's, there's, there's different views and different viewpoints and how we see this, but there's a common enemy and we have to fight this common enemy that's invading, um, which I think would be fascinating. But I, at all of it, even, and we didn't even mention Zuri. If you think about Zuri, it was almost like, man, this guy, what's he doing? He's covering for T'Chaka. But if you think about it, you've been with Njobu this entire time, undercover as a war dog. And what have you done? You've basically bonded with him. And then they Kugler does something really clever when he basically acts like James, you know, quote unquote, who's Zuri doesn't know what's going on. Like he's looking like what's happening. And then you do that turn and then you have to betray your brother, but your brother betrayed your country. And then your brother wants to pull out a gun on you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And then T'Chaka kills his own brother for him. It's like, whoa, we can critique their decision to leave Killmonger, but in a, in a very real sense, what an honor, what an honor it is to know that your king would kill his brother to save you. Like, how does that feel when you sit back and say, my king would kill his blood and abandon his nephew for me? Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. I don't care how long it is. I don't care what happens. That's and, and if you think about it from that standpoint, you can look back at the older generation and say, oh, how would I have responded in that? Oh, we need to bring the boy. Well, the boy's going to find out one way or another. And then it's even greater betrayal. So it's easy for us to say, mm. you should have brought the boy over. And then it's like, oh, so you think this kid ain't going to find out if he grows up in Wakanda that you killed? You raised him as his own, as your own. And now all of a sudden you he finds out oh, what you think he's not going to turn and then take a whole group of the force with him. Yeah. That's when we get into, man, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback. Mm. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, But maybe our ancestors saw something that we didn't. So I was at uh, MLK 50 this year in Memphis. And one of the things they were very uh, uh, cognizant of doing, and it was very clear at every single panel and 
uh, speech and event is that there was a blending of the civil rights heroes of uh, of the past and those yeah. today. And I, I even saying that out loud, the way that I just did makes me feel a little, you know, I, nervous to some extent sure. because there was a very strong sense that the quote civil rights leaders of the past are not of the past. They're here and right. they're sitting and they're talking. And what was fascinating was to see and kind of feel at times a bit of the tension in the room uh, where from my, my perspective, it, it seemed like especially the, the younger generation was very respectful of what was being said but maybe didn't always receive that same level of respect. Now that's not universally true. Right. I'm just saying sometimes that happened. Um, and you know, I, I got to wonder when there is such, <sighs> go ahead. Uh, yeah. Ask this. This is important. Okay. So when it seems like there is such a need at the moment for the torch to be officially passed, like how do you navigate that when some are not necessarily willing to let go of the torch and, should to some extent be committed for not, you know, obviously that's not a torch you want to let go of. Mm -hmm. And, and absolutely. Does, does there need to be a letting go of the torch or does there need to be a carrying alongside? What does that look like? Yeah. So, so torch passing is always messy. Like it's always imprecise. It's, you know, I've heard people, you know, even, you know, people I love and respect talk about the baton pass. The baton pass is so smooth in track that I think it's not an accurate description of what happens from generation to generation. In reality, it's, it's much, it's far messier. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's more like throwing a water balloon, you know, <laughs> and you know, you're like, Oh, I hope, I hope I don't drop this. and I hope it doesn't splatter, you know? And in reality, I think what the older generation has to understand is that you can only hang on to, to what you accomplished in the past for so long and it'd be effective for the present. Mm. You can only hang on to it for so long. That has an expiration date. And it's not, it's not that your, your contributions have an expiration date, but it loses its effectiveness in today. And so if you rest in that, and if you demand respect for that, even after people have given it, it'll never be enough. And then I think the younger generation, we have to understand that the torch is earned. You got to earn the torch. Like so yeah, you want the torch, earn it. You have to you have to be loyal, you have to be focused, you have to um prioritize things that maybe you don't want to prioritize or or put things first that maybe you're just sitting back and you're like, "Well, I want to do some other things in my life." I mean, you got to earn this. So if you really want the torch, the torch is going to require probably a whole lot more from you than what you expect. And that's kind of the symbiotic relationship of recognizing that on both sides, generationally, we have to come to some sort of agreement that, yeah, the older generation may want to hang on to it for a little long and the younger generation may want it too quickly. Mm. And, and, you know, that's just we have to if as long as we can look at look at each other and acknowledge those things about us, because I don't think it's as much. When you when you see that there's an improper torch passing or what have you, I think the job is for the younger and the older not to look at each other, but to look inwardly. Mm. You need to look at I need to admit to you that I want this. I want this and I think you're hanging on to it for too long. But I also need to admit I probably want a little bit more 
to bite off more than what I can chew. And the older generation says, I I feel like you guys are going to move on from us and not honor us properly. I don't feel like you're going to do that. But I need to recognize that what I've done in the past doesn't work for the present. That's how you pass the torch when you're able to introspectively say, yo, I'm I'm gonna put my whole I'm gonna put it on the table, you know, and then let's take a look at it and let's see how we can come to a compromise and an agreement of how we can work together side by side. Yeah, there is such um, a healthy level of introspection and self-awareness that has to be in place in order for that transition to take place, because even when it's done right, it's still messy. Right. And so the the older generation has to have the self-awareness and the introspection to recognize that the sun is setting on their time. And then the younger has to have the same thing to recognize that the sun is rising on theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's good, bro. the thing that I think the younger kind of misses sometimes, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, is that to appreciate the price that has been paid by the previous generation and how they're not reluctant to pass the baton because it's a personal thing like against you but it's because it's something that is very valuable and that has cost a great deal Mm -hmm. to build and maintain and so there is this trepidation that's like it's not that i don't want to let this go but i want to make sure that when i do it's going to be well cared for Mm -hmm. and and taken taken for it cost me everything (laughs) yeah you know and 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 so it's 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 this awareness that has to be on on both sides man i came across this real cool quote from this guy he said he said uh, why should one man think to engross all the business and to bring every good work to perfection let something be left for those that succeed and man it takes like it's like you gotta be healthy like it's it's that's a humble thing and it's like but but if we're not careful we'll put all the focus on the tachakas of the world to recognize their 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 finiteness their finitude right but then also the ones taking it we have to recognize ours too that's good you know and so it 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 has to exist on both sides Hmm. it's great that's great man the interconnectedness there's so much more we could say on that but we gotta keep moving through Wakanda y'all we'll see y'all next week this episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast an outreach dedicated to bringing joy strength intimacy and purpose to couples seeking growth Be sure to visit EnneagramAndMarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.